This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hello and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I'm Maya, a singer, songwriter, video maker, Oakland native, and a sports enthusiast. I'm also a big fan of history. I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, anything weird, dark, and funky from the past. Each day, I'm going to share a few of my favorite deep cuts with you, so let's take a look at today's stories. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so... Don't leave too soon, I'm gonna teach you stuff, no it won't be tough, gonna go a year till you've had enough, it's 365. Today, in 1964, Bill Bowerman and Philip Knight founded what we now know as Nike, but at the time they called it Blue Ribbon Sports. Philip Knight was a track athlete at the University of Oregon, and Bill Bowerman was his coach. Bowerman had an obsession with designing the perfect track and field shoe. A couple years earlier, in 1958, he had designed a shoe for Knight. At the Rome Olympics in 1960, that same pair of shoes got the gold. Otis Davis wore them to win the 400-meter race while he was borrowing the shoes from Knight. In 1964, Bowerman and Knight decided to make that shoe into a business and agreed on a 50-50 partnership. They first worked to import and sell from Japanese company Onitsuka Tiger, which is now known as ASICS, which were making shoes based on Bowerman's original designs. How did that work out? Philip Knight wanted to manufacture his own new products in a different way than usual, and it was one of the first athletics companies to try manufacturing abroad. Philip Knight did this the old-fashioned way. He traveled around the world with a backpack and scheduled business meetings, and one of his visits in Asia was to the Onitsuka Tiger factory. He hit it off with the executives and was able to revolutionize how athletic companies got their materials and imports. Through this outsourcing, Blue Ribbon Sports quickly became one of the leading sports equipment distributors in the United States. In 1966, Blue Ribbon Sports opened their first retail store in Santa Monica, and in 1967, they expanded to the East Coast by opening a retail store in Wellesley, Massachusetts. In 1971, they began to sever ties with Onitsuka Tiger, to the tune of a $33 million lawsuit, and they changed their name to Nike Incorporated. The name Nike comes from the Greek goddess Nike, who is the goddess of victory. That same year, Bill Bowerman used his wife's waffle iron to create a new sole for their shoes that would have grip but also be lightweight. Nike wasn't the only name that the men considered, though. One employee suggested calling it Bengal, and another suggested Dimension 6 and Peregrine. Knight didn't actually like the name Nike, but the team had to decide fast. They only had 24 hours to choose the name before their first shipment after they'd severed ties with Onitsuka Tiger. Nike won, and it became the name Forevermore. They introduced their first Nike-branded footwear line in 1972, which included the Nike Moon Shoes and Nike Cortez. The Cortez became the company's most popular product. They used the name Moon Shoes because the waffle iron looked like the footprints that astronauts left on the moon. The first Nike retail store opened in 1990 on November 21st in Portland, Oregon. One of Nike's most recognizable features is the swoosh. The swoosh is designed by Carolyn Davidson, and she did it for a mere $35. 
She was an undergrad design student taking on clients to earn extra cash. It took her 17 and a half hours to design the swoosh, which was at first rejected by Knight, but he eventually accepted it because this was during the time that the deal with the Japanese brand was falling apart, and everyone knew that Nike needed its own distinct branding. Davidson was eventually more rewarded for her efforts. She worked for Nike for years and was given 500 shares in the company, worth over $70,000 today, as well as a swoosh-shaped gold diamond ring. The accompanying phrase, just do it, has a bit of a sinister backstory. They were the last words of a convicted serial killer named Gary Gilmore, who was also known to have said, let's do this, before he was executed. Not sure why they picked that as their inspiration, but the catchphrase certainly did catch on. Nike is also known for its star athlete ambassadors. Their first ambassador was Romanian tennis player Ile Natasi. Its first track and field ambassador was U.S. middle distance runner Steve Prefontaine, who was another former athlete of Bowerman's. Nike made a whole new shoe when it began to sponsor Michael Jordan, the Air Jordans, in 1984. It was a historic partnership for a couple of reasons. Jordan was a relatively unknown player at the time, and he signed a five-year contract with Nike for $2.5 million plus royalties, a giant sum at the time, or ever really, especially on a relatively untested player. Jordan was taking a risk of his own. The Air Jordan was Nike's first basketball shoe. The shoes were then banned for not having enough white in the design. Basketball shoes used to have to be 51% white in order to wear it in the game. Jordan wanted to wear them anyways, and Nike liked the advertising opportunity, so they paid a $5,000 fee per game. Obviously, it worked out pretty well for everyone involved. Today, Nike is the world's largest sports shoe and apparel company, valued at $34.35 billion. Nike shoes alone contribute 61% of the revenue. This episode is brought to you by Saks.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Let's talk about music. Today, in 2002, Les Miserables became the second longest running show in Broadway history. The musical is an adaption of the Victor Hugo novel of the same name, and it premiered in French in Paris in 1980. The plot tells the story of Jean Fajon, a French peasant who was trying to rebuild his life after serving 19 years in prison for stealing bread for his starving nephew. As Valjean and a scrappy set of characters try to make their way in the world, they become enraptured with the onset of revolution in Paris. Today, Les Mis is one of the most infamous musicals ever written and performed, but it initially opened to negative reviews. These early reviews called it melodramatic and fetishizing classic literature. Today, these critiques are seen as outdated. Les Mis opened on Broadway on March 12, 1987, and it ran until May 18, 2003, after 6,680 performances. It won eight Tony Awards, including Best Musical and Best Original Score. A film adaptation came out in 2012, starring Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, Anne Hathaway, and Amanda Seyfried. It won the Golden Globe Award for the Best Motion Picture, Musical, 
or comedy. And now for our final segment of the day, I'm going to be going into my own photo archives to see what I was up to on a January 25th in my life. January 25th, 2018, I played my very first headline show. Woo! Yay, Komaya! Um, I played it in Los Angeles at the Moroccan Lounge. Um, I have my rider. So a rider is, um, oh, not my rider, but my, God, what is it called? Can you remember? This is like, you get this thing when you're a musician, when you're on tour, where you get like an outline of your day. Day sheet. That's what it's called. I have my day sheet from 125.18, Los Angeles, California. Um, and it like has the location, the Moroccan lounge. It had the weather, 73 degrees, lows in the 53 degrees, and it would be sunny, the time zone PST. I have my like time that I was meeting my managers when I was going to, I visited TikTok on that day in their offices as well. So I did a lot of different things. Um, that was my first headline show. I was so nervous. I messed up so much. I forgot like a whole entire song, I'm pretty sure, but it was fine because I was so nervous for this show. It was the very first time that I was playing a show where I guess people bought tickets to see me. Um, I had played an opening show before, but I guess it's it's different when you do a headline and it feels very special because it's like you're advertising it as your show um, and not just opening up for somebody else, even though opening is a really fun experience. Um, it's very different when your audience is definitely there to see you. And I was really nervous because my family was there, my grandparents were there, my managers were there to watch me for the first time play live for an audience that was buying tickets. But the whole show sold out, and I remember having a really good time. Um, so very fond memories, and I miss performing live a little bit. It's definitely a hard experience, but nothing can replace the feeling of singing along with people in person. Thanks so much for listening, and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow at 365 Days MXM Tune on your preferred social media platforms. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365.